Hey, good evening, everyone on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter Live, and all our other streaming channels. And tonight we have a very, very special show. Um, and we're going to talk about what I would consider the, fl the fragile vessel, the black woman. And I asked my illustrious two co-hosts to do this show together. Um, I thought that these two, these two young ladies to do this show together would be interesting um, because both of them are, as we would say, fan favorites. Um, they haven't done a show together since the New Year's Eve show that we did together, um, which was really, really fun and super cool, right? Um, so without, you know, even though they've both been on the platform many, many a times, um, Andrea, Drea, Black Girl Boston, <laughs> Brown Girl Boston, Brown Girl Tribe, <laughs> my ace, my ace from down yonder. <laughs> um, explain to the explain to everyone in the chat who you are, because I, you know, I think a lot of times they see you on the show and they'll be like, "Oh, that's just his friend." Uh, you know, he, they looking out for each other. She got he's on she's on the platform with him. Explain to everybody who exactly you are. Okay. So before we get into the title, so good evening, everyone. I'm Andrea, um, blogger, content creator, um, black woman, you know, in love with my blackness, my melon, and also too, you know, like a dope individual, but we'll get into the title. I'm an assistant professor and director of field education at the illustrious Tuskegee University, which is a historic Black college and university in Tuskegee, Alabama, and also alum from there as well. So, um, you know, I'm not just like Q's like homegirl, but you know, I encompass a lot of things. And so, you know, you you guys will find out a little bit more tonight as we get into the topic. Miss uh, Dozier, the author. Yes. <laughs> Good evening, everybody. Um, my name is Julia Dozier. I'm an author. I focus on the health and well-being of uh, relationships within the African-American or Black community. Um, I currently have two published books. Um, the first one is about self-awareness and self-identity for women and for men. The second one is about how Black men love. And I have a third upcoming book, um, which should be published and released in September, is Black Women Love. So I conducted um, for each of the how the series, How Black Men Love and How Black Women Love, I conducted interviews um, with African-American or Black men or women between the ages of 25 to 85 to understand their perspective of love and intimacy and relationships. So that's um, my passion. Professionally, I'm a businesswoman <laughs> and um, I focus on workforce management, policy and procedure and finance. So that's what I do. Great. Well, because of the subject matter, um, I won't say that I was misleading in the title. Um, I'll just say that the title was very vague where, where it said a fragile vessel, black women. So, you know, for the sake of algorithms the um the misunderstand the misunderstanding of of our educational and historical references i had to kind of like curtail some of the wording so um 
we're going to have a real serious discussion about the history of black women in this country. And it's not a history that we're going to talk about where it may seem like we're glorifying anything or praising anything. It's just, um, I think that a lot of people don't know. I think that a lot of people don't understand that every single person on the face of this earth that has any medical procedure done, um, any medication done, any blood work done, owes gratitude to one woman, and that's Henrietta Lacks. So this show is in her spirit, her -hmm. family spirit, who has never fully been compensated for her cells being used. And being that this is the month of Black August, and it's about to end soon, we need to pay homage to our ancestor, who um, we owe a lot of gratitude to, and Mm -hmm. to her family, um, to the Henrietta Lacks Foundation. um, We owe a lot of gratitude to. So we we, we dedicate this show in her memory and in her name. Drea, you are going to lead us off and begin okay so i'm gonna quote this quote um pretty much i wrote a publication about black women being the most disrespected from a social worker standpoint because i have 15 years of clinical social work background and so this quote is actually from one of the um, first african-american social workers named mary church terrell if you all heard of her so her quote said nobody wants to know a colored woman's opinion about her status as that of her group when she dares express it, no matter how mal or tactful it may be, it's called propaganda or is labeled as controversy. So I wrote this as part of um, a publication that I wrote. And it's interesting how it ties into what we're talking about today. So I talked a lot about just cultural competency and also the lack of since 1619 of being, you know, our ancestors being forcefully removed from, you know, the continent of Africa and violently brought here um, stateside. So I also discussed about not having agency over our minds and body. So at one point in time, um, you know, when we was enslaved or our ancestors was enslaved, you know, we didn't have agency over being raped, um, you know, dealing with the cruelty of, you know, you having a child in the field and you still got to go back to work. Right. Um, also to thinking of just when you're trying to run away because your family have been ripped apart from you, you was actually diagnosed as having a issue with being a runaway slave, which is called, um, drapomania. And this was actually in the DSM. So for anyone who knows about the DSM diagnostic, um, you know, book that usually psychologists, social workers use, this was actually a issue of a diagnosis of like a mood disorder. Mind you, of course, a white man, you know, was stated, well, they have an issue. You're getting fed. Your house, why do you want to run away from, you know, this condition? So it was actually a condition and it was actually um, started by Dr. Samuel Cartwright. Um, so in 1881, he, he claimed that it was a disease of the mind to run away and making themselves too familiar, you know, with wanting to be part of the world. Um, and it also says, this is the symptoms now, now for, for our ancestors to be violently brought here, that our ancestors was diagnosed with this because they wanted to avoid work. But you came legally and illegally plenty of times to go and get our ancestors because you avoided 
to do the work, right? Mm-hmm. And um, we still being used as work labor and also to emotional labor on the workplace, but we'll talk about that as well later on. Um, you know, so that's something I really want to talk about. I'm talking about it was an untreated mental health. So if you all have followed Dr. Joy um, DeGruy, she talks about, you know, post-traumatic um, slave syndrome. So she talks about this and also to, you know, coming out of just generations of dealing with psycho, um, if you ever heard of like psychosomatic, we still feel the vibration of just the torture, the trauma of our ancestors. And that, it could be 24 ancestors behind us, right? So that's what I wanted to open up with. And people don't understand like the, the things as black women will we have to go through and still have to go through and not discarding black men because you guys have your own struggles as well. Um, but the sake of this topic, we're talking about just dealing with the mental health of black women and, and how it's manifesting even in 2021. Well, um, I told you guys, I, I, I don't really have much to say um, during this show. I'm kind of like speechless. Um, when, we were, when we were all did our individual research for what we wanted to talk about, it kind of is very emotional because um, you could feel it. Julia said something to me this week where, what did you say, Julia, about your ancestors? I said I could feel the ancestral as I was um, doing my research and I had to, um, I have my own process for releasing um, emotions. I had to go through that process because it's very deep. It's very deep. And even though I've had like awareness of it, of course, as you said, I love to do research. So I have awareness of it, but um, researching and preparation for this show was different than this go round. And I'm not quite sure why that was, but um, in my spirit, I believe it was so that I could arrive at my own level of healing around my own femininity and my own sexuality and my own sexual experiences. And um, doing the research allowed me to tap into that. The, um, The horrific, horrific things done to the women in our culture and the things that are still being done today by our own hand, because the vibrations of what happened to us centuries ago, centuries ago, I'm talking about 400, 500 years ago, the vibrations of that live in our society today where we don't even require a master to over-sexualize us or to um, take advantage of um, our the, the the sacredness of our bodies. We do that ourselves. We do that ourselves. So there's there's a lot of healing that needs to be done in that respect. There's there's always been a, um, a thought that um that one of the things with being a black woman is being strong. And um I'm not a black woman. I came from a black woman. I was raised by a black woman and I had two very, very strong black women grandmothers. One had eight children. The other one had seven. And it's always been this thing. I'm a strong black woman. And I think that a lot of black women should take offense to this phrase. Um, The reason why, Mm -hmm. the reason why I think that, (laughs) 
and you know, I'm glad that you guys agree with me, but you don't have to agree with me. It's kind of like that's my personal thing, but I'm not a woman, so I can't tell y'all what to think or feel. But um, one of the issues why this um, thing was a strong black woman is because of what has happened to you guys, far as what the father of gynecology did. Um, I know Julia, you had really did some research on this guy. And um, would you like to elaborate on it? Before before I go into it, I just want to kind of touch on the idea of a strong black woman. The quote that opened up our show is what happened on the auction block centuries ago is still unfinished business for African American women today. And to to Andrea's point, going back to the 1600s, Black women were put on auction blocks in market marketplaces, most oftentimes in front of their family, sometimes their husbands, their children, white men, white women, and they were evaluated on that block. Their breasts were pulled. Their behinds were, you know, measured. There was this idea of looking at them to see how strong they were in terms of being able to produce more slaves. So, you know, the I, for me now, the idea of a strong black woman is how much can you take? And I don't think that, you know, we should be, when I looked at this research, like black women are not necessarily strong. We're survivors. We know how to survive. Um, but when you think about the fact that they were raped as well as their men raped, they had their genitalia mutilated. They were forced to breastfeed children that were not their own. You know, we carry the weight of that in our spirits and in our souls. So, you know, I don't know if that's strength, but I do know that that's survival. That's a lot of mental and physical and emotional pain to, to undertake. And, and speaking of um, James Marion Sims, who's considered the father, father of, of modern um, gynecology, one of the things that he did under the premise that black women are strong was he performed multiple surgeries on hundreds, if not thousands of women. And sometimes the same women repeatedly gynecological procedures without anesthesia because the idea was that black women were strong. So can you imagine a black woman laying on the table, screaming, crying and hollering as her ovaries and her fallopian tubes, her, just her whole system is being violated so that they could learn how to perfect these procedures, not for us, but for white women. Mm 
And today, today you have, I'm sorry, Drea. Today, we're so over-sexualized that we don't even really have an opportunity to appreciate and respect our sexuality as women or black men or as couples or as couples we have to start seeing each other as sacred i believe and that's all i got for right now right <laughs> i totally agree one of the uh, phrases that I thought would be interesting, and Bettina Judd, Judd was a historian, I think she said, because a lot of people asked with his studies were, um, were they with consent? And we need to understand that this man was, a, he owned slaves. Mm-hmm. He owned subjects, as he would say. And she said, and I think this is um, so profound, even to this day, when it comes to consent and violating somebody's physical um, physical space. She said, consent isn't always about whether you can say yes. It's also whether you can say no. Right. Because a lot of times people are put in positions where they can't say no. Or they do say no and it's not acknowledged. Exactly. It's totally ignored. <sighs> and, to piggy- and to piggyback what Julia has said, um, it's very ironic and awful how we, you know, was deemed as experimental. And then look in 2021, we're still experimenting with ourselves. We're getting Brazilian butt lifts. And that's the, I don't know if you all have read a recent article, you know, that's like the number one killer. So many black women are dying on these procedure tables because of you want to get a, as, as, you want to accentuate you know, what we already naturally have. And we're more than our bodies, right? And somewhere down the line, as you have said, Julia, we have over-sexualized ourselves. Um, we forgot about the the, the sacred femininity um, because I guess the strong black woman narrative, I gotta be kind of like the chick wearing the pants. <laughs> um, instead of really tapping into who we are as black women, and, you know, I, I don't ever say like, oh, I'm a black woman and I'm strong. I'm an alchemist because I can make things happen, baby. You know, like I come from a line of alchemists of women and being able to come from that that lineage of, sh- of slaves and sharecroppers and to be the first, you know, to, to be in my family, to go to college and to be a professor. Baby, I'm a whole alchemist out here in these streets and, and I get to turn around the lineage. So, you know, hence why. It's interesting we talk about being a strong black woman because in my lecture on Tuesday, I actually had one of my my students ask me, she was like, well, professor, how come we always gotta be the strong black women? Like, how come we always have to, you know, save the workplace, save the voting, save this, save that? But who told us we have to do that? Um, You know, who gave us permission to say, you know what, y'all gotta go save the world again because we gotta get such and such out of office. So black women, y'all gotta be on y'all job. And we're already not paying attention to, 
you know, ourselves. We're not giving ourselves the energy. We're not coming home and being able to give our, you know, significant others the energy, our children, if we have them. It's always external instead of going internal and say, you know what, I got to save myself and turn around this whole trajectory of being the strong black woman. I think a lot of that comes from the, the, the historical roots of like when you, when I think about the surgical procedures without the anesthesia, what it suggests to me is that there's this idea that we can endure anything. And I don't think that that has gone away. I don't think that that's gone away. I think we still, we still have that put on us that we we can endure anything because we have endured everything, you know. Right. But I don't want to do that no more. <laughs> I don't choose one, that. One for for you guys in the chat. Um, I know that Dre Dre has been on the platform uh, quite a few times. We actually did a show um, that was titled "Live from Tuskegee," and I think that a lot of people don't understand that. Drea is a professor, an alumni at a university that is a historically black college. Mm -hmm. Also, it is literally a crime scene. Mm -hmm. And I know the situation we are in now where a lot of people have tried to minimize that crime scene that took place in Tuskegee because of what's going on now. And they're telling people to trust the science and I'm all for trusting in the science. However, that does not minimize the crime scene. Right. Ground zero, sacred ground, hallowed ground. So sometimes when we're speaking, um, some people, you know, we have information and we bring forth information, but to walk on ground zero, to breathe the air of the crime scene, I don't think people understand that her eyeballs literally has seen the crime scene. Definitely. And more and more. Every time... I walk on campus, it's like, yo, it's a sacred space for me. To the point, I remember when I moved in my freshman year 20 years ago, my uncle helped, um, came up from South Alabama, helped my mom and I move in my dorm. My uncle literally cried. He's like, I can feel all of our ancestors and all the sacrifices to get where you're at. So you better not mess this up, right? And I remember him crying like, yo, this is sacred grounds. And I tell my students this all the time. Yo, this is a privilege to be at this university mm-hmm. because of not just, you know, Booker T. Washington, you know, all these amazing things, but also to just the also what happened, you know, with just the experiment. Also, too, like I mentioned, we have three museums and one of the museums is the Legacy Museum, which actually talks about you know, um, Henrietta Lacks and all the apologies and all the atrocities that happened to Black Americans, you know, not just within Tuskegee, but also in the state of Alabama that people don't talk about. 30 minutes away in Montgomery where Dr. Sims was performing these 
um, you know, atrocious and horrific, you know, um, experiments on black bodies, you know, there was actually warehouses where well, black bodies was being, you know, um, experimented on. And so that's why I always tell people, if you come to Alabama, we have such a rich history as far as what we, it's another legacy museum there, you know, that talks about enslavement to, you know, what's happening now. Um, it's just, it's crazy. One of the one of the one of the ways that me and Drea met um about three years ago is 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 in the circles speaking about reparations. And one of the things about reparations that we can't allow to get lost in the translation is our medical rep- reparations. What was done, experiments, um, as Julia said, oh, oh, Black women who were considered subjects, no anesthesia, anesthesia, um, with all their goodies wide open, not for them, for other people. So we need to really, really consider what a lot of the women go through um, and a lot of black women go through and, and, and hold them to a standard that they deserve to be held. And even nowadays, um, it is countless women. Um, I don't know if you guys know about how many black women die giving birth in this country. Astronomical. It is, yes. Astronomical. Um, and, and how many black women have been misdiagnosed and had a procedure done from a misdiagnosed and now could never have children. Mm-hmm. Or, or died from lacerations during procedures, mm-hmm. or were recommended to have hysterectomies when that was the most aggressive mm-hmm. procedure that could be done when there were other methods that could have been available, or who have children who are low birth weight because they don't receive proper prenatal care, or who have a high, a higher incidence than any other race of HIV, STIs, gonorrhea, chlamydia, everything, because we don't receive sexual education. We don't receive knowledge about our, our bodies, not from schools, but just it's not conversation that we have within our families about how to protect our bodies. We're the only, we're the only culture, I believe, that doesn't have a ritual or a ceremony about growing from puberty into adulthood. The only culture in this in this country. I don't I don't know how many people um in the chat or who will view the show, you know, um one of the a viral video and sometimes we see viral viral videos of some of our sheroes and ancestors and um we think that the video is all who they all who they is. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the viral videos of Fanny Fanny Lou Hamer talking about the blood and the flag. Yeah. You if you understood what was done to this woman. Exactly. And she still never gave up. She adopted children. Mm-hmm. She was the cause of the march on Washington. Right. Um, she was the, the real organizer of the march and I think that people just don't understand what you guys are going through and even now to this day. Mm-hmm. 
Right. Exactly. And I mean, like, far as with me, I almost had a situation in which I had almost had a forced hysterectomy at in mid-30s um, because I had fibroids. And I remember the doctor's like, oh, you got to get a hysterectomy. I was like, absolutely not. I was like, I'm going to get a second, third opinion, and I will pay whatever it's going to pay. So, you know, a lot of times, too, we have to be advocates and a lot of times we don't have people advocating for us, especially on the mental health side, when you have fields such as the field I'm in, being a social worker is 70% white women. So that's why I go so hard on my students to produce more black social workers, but not with a Eurocentric standpoint, from an Afrocentric standpoint, but like, look, we have other issues that's going on. And at one point in time, you may become a client. So, you know, that's why you need to go hard with advocacy. And a lot of us, you know, um, are afraid. You know, we still have that stigma with the, the you know, um, with doctors. We still have the stigma with, you know, mental health professionals because they don't look like us. And we're so underrepresented because we don't have the funds, you know, to go to medical school or to go get your, you know, MSW or to go get your, you know, psychiatrist, um, you know, degree, whatever the case is. And so, you know, a lot of times we get frightened. And then once again, it's that stigma still being passed down. Um, so, you know, I always suggest, you know, for us as black women and just like as black people, we just have to keep advocating. And, you know, we have to go to the policies and procedures. Like we have to fight for policies to change. So I'm, I'm, I love seeing so many black doulas, you know, are in those spaces now because, when you are, let's say, incapacitated, um, you know, you have your birth plan. At least you have a doula to advocate for you, which we need. Because once again, a lot of these women been having children. Oh, she don't need anesthesia. You know, she don't need that. She don't need an epidural and like literally dying, you know, on the birthing table. And a lot of times we giving birth wrong anyways, and they're going against your birthing plan. So, you know, I'm glad that a lot of these programs are coming out. And also, too, it needs to be more research done. It's only 4% of African-Americans in the research field, period. And they're begging, you know, us to become researchers because we're so, once again, underrepresented. And I feel like if we're going to have a health disparity, we need to have more African-American representative because what do white people know about us? We've been, we've been dealing with atrocities since 1600s all the way up to now. Um, and a lot of times we've been misdiagnosed, even with mental health misdiagnoses. So, you know, we need a lot more of us in spaces in which, um, you know, we can give the correct diagnoses and also, too, that we can speak to our people on a certain level, too. Because, you know, sometimes we got to speak to our people on a certain level for them to understand mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Let me let me ask you guys a question. Um, and, Julia, you can answer the question first. How... Without a, a a male that's in a, a, a black man understanding, doing the research, and knowing what you guys go through, how is it better for them to understand? Like you guys got both of you guys got brothers, um, male cousins, and a lot of times, I you know, um, it's always said that the males, the count your counterparts, really don't get it. Um, like we, like Julia said, when you opened up, we both had our atrocities done to us. However, we see certain things like different 
from what's going on with, 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 with them attacking black male masculinity right now. And you guys have seen like the medical stuff, procedures done. Like we don't know nothing about that. We we hear it on and it's like, you know, uh, what you mean? What you mean, you know, the doctor telling you he, you know, you can't have children and you, you know, that may be one of the things that you wanna have. Um and and being Miss Dinos, how better can the males understand what you guys are going through? So I don't think that it's a matter of how women need to communicate it, because I think women are always communicating what they think, what they feel and what they need. I think it's a matter of men being able to listen and wanting to listen. And I think that begins with being able to stop seeing women as objects and see us as vessels and understand that we're vessels that um, carry life if we are able to. Um, that we're vessels that support life, our communities, our work, men as well. You know, we're vessels and, and we have emotions and feelings and these very important issues that we, that we have to deal with. And that sometimes it's difficult for us to have conversations with men when we know that we're being viewed as objects because how well can you listen to me if you're not seeing me beyond what I can do for you mm. or what you can get from me? So, you know, the first thing is, is being able to see us as vessels, to see us as human organism, very delicate, very delicate. The same as men, you know, emotions, our, our emotions, our psychology, our thoughts, our feelings, our bodies, just to see us. I remember one time my brother, my young, my beautiful baby brother, as I call him, <laughs> he was he was complaining to me about one of his girlfriends that, you know, one week she'd be okay, and the next week she'd have a problem, and the next week she'd be okay. And I had to explain to him, I said, Jordan, I said, oh, I didn't mean to call him out like that. But I said, I said, Jordan, I said, you have to understand that your woman has, a, has an ecosystem happening inside of her, right? That she has three weeks, possibly within a month, where her body is going through constant change. And through all that change, she still has to show up for work. She still has to show up for school. She still has to show up for her friends. She has to show up for you. And those changes that are happening in her body are not only physical, they're also emotional and psychological. So understand that and try to get in tune with her rhythm. Try to get in tune with her rhythm. Ask her how she's feeling. How are you feeling today? You know, it's simple things like that, but you have to want to do that. You mm -hmm. have to want to do that. And before you answer, before you, um, Dre, you, I'm quite sure you got some information to give on this, that question. It's always perceived, um, Julia, um, to speak to how you, how your brother may have perceived it definitely from a man is, oh, she tripping. <laughs> she right. tripping. Instead of realizing, like you said, three weeks out of the month, her body is going through changes. And that one week is really going through changes, but um, she's going through something physically and emotionally, and she can't really explain what's going on, but you just got to understand what's going on. Um, I think, I think that was a great, a great uh, explanation, Julia. Yeah. And sometimes mm -hmm. women, as women, we have to be in tune with our bodies as well. We have to understand what's going on with us as well. And sometimes 
because we're not educated about our bodies or have those conversations, sometimes it can take us longer to understand the rhythms and the patterns um, that we're experiencing. Dre, you want? Did you have some answer to that question? Um, I think that as far as what if you're going to be in partnership with someone, accommodation, take them to the appointments. Y'all should mm-hmm. go to appointments together. Um, I can say this about my brother and about my uncles. Um, I don't know because my mom probably drilled it in him, but I know my brother, he takes his wife to every appointment. My uncles take their wives to every appointment and black eyes. So what's going on? What do I need to do? Accommodation. And that also builds the synergy of the relationship to a deeper level too. You know, because imagine you go into an appointment by yourself and hearing, let's say you got breast cancer. You know, you're dealing with that trauma by yourself. So I feel that if couples really want to build and be on a spiritual level, you should definitely accommodate one another and encourage one another. Maybe, um, you know, your significant other is just so traumatized by the diagnoses, you know, your significant other needs to step in and be like, okay, so what's going on? Give me the rundown. Boom, boom, boom. All right. What do we need to do? So, you know, I don't, I don't think we see that enough because like what Julia said, it's more like, well, what can you do for me materially? One day, you know, the material doesn't count because if you don't got your mental health, you don't got your physical health. Okay, that's cool. You got that burger bag, but you know, that's not going to save you from getting that diagnosis of cancer, whatever the case is. So I think we need to be a little bit more accommodating and also to, you know, really being in tune with, hey, what's going on? I noticed you didn't get your period. I noticed this didn't happen. I'm noticing you having mood swings. Is a, you know, something situational going on at the job, at home? whatever the case is, because, you know, we're all, our bodies interconnected and interdependent. So, you know, if you off in one area, please believe everything else is going to be off. Um, so I think we need to be more accommodating so we can build that whole synergy of an actual loving relationship um, besides something material. Yeah. Another, another question is, I know that, I know that um, Drea, this is for both of y'all, but I'm going to just use your example that you have, Drea. I know that one of the, um, one of your biggest titles in your name is Brown Girl Tribe. Um, and we, we talk a lot about, in our communities, we talk a lot about the village raising us and understanding um, what was done to us. Like we were a tribe when we got, when we got took and we were a tribe or tribes. When we came here, um, we were named black, so to say. We were no longer a tribe, and that village concept kind of left um, where where a lot of people don't have, and, and, and some of us of a certain age now, we reflect on having the big mama, uh, the aunt, that one aunt that just was the emotional aunt, and she knew everything. Um, what what na- what allowed you, uh, Drea, to name it Brown Girl Tribe and getting and getting that village concept into your name? Um. Well, actually, the whole name came about when I was a student at Tuskegee. They're like, "That's the Brown Girl from Boston," because you know they thought everybody from Boston was white. <laughs> so, um, but just even having a commanding presence with not just my homegirl, because I'm not a feminist at all. So you know, people see that like, "Oh, she's talking about you know just for women." You know, I'm talking about the people who look like me, you know, um, because like I said, they was like, well, she's not black, black, she's brown. So, you know, that's how it started. But also being a tribe because, you know, once again, 
having Southern roots, but being a Northern girl, being an East Coast girl, um, it always been about the tribe. It's always been about, all right, how is the tribe? We're going to do things as a tribe, as, you know, a tribe, whether it was my parents and our family or our extended family. And that's what I seen growing up. Um, you know, my parents, my parents first going to Boston and then bringing the other tribal members to Boston, you know, from Alabama to Boston. Um, also, too, I'm speaking, you know, to my tribe. You know, I, I have to, sometimes I got to speak to them on a certain level. Sometimes I have to raise their vibration by speaking to them or just even showing up as I am. And I have a lot of men who come to me for coaching. I have a lot of men like, can you talk to my BM? I'm like, did she give you consent? For me to like talk to her. <laughs> um, what are you not doing, bruh? So you know, like, so it's a tribe thing. Like, you know how you have a tribe called Quest. So I was like, oh, always like, I'm a wordsmith, you know, being a blogger. And I was like, okay, Brown Girl Tribe, we a tribe. So if we're gonna be a tribe, we need to get it together on all spiritual, mm -hmm. mental, physical, and emotional. So that's how I came up with the term because at the end of the day, we do have to look at ourselves as a tribe because who's gonna save us but us? Like I said, like I said, um, in the beginning of the show, that this show is, I asked these two young ladies to um, do the show, and then we discussed what the show would be about. And you know, I'm quite sure it's a lot of information that they still haven't even scratched the surface on. But I just want to remind everybody that this show is strictly dedicated to Henrietta Lacks. Um, I highly recommend that everybody follow the Henrietta Lex Foundation. Um, we need to be in support of her family getting their reparations. Her cells were used without her knowledge. And um, thank, thankfully, with Oprah's movie that she did on the family, a lot of people kind of like got aware of it. But it's always been like an urban myth, but it's not a myth. It's a true story. Um, so we need to understand um, what this Shiro, this ancestor, did for us, and you know, in 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 the rest of our female ancestors did for us with um, forced experiments. We need to keep that in in in, in keep those thoughts and understanding moist and, and moist on our tongues and understanding what has happened um and and not minimize what anybody anybody has been through any trauma that anybody has been through let alone if you know um that's one of the things that um you know both of you young ladies know that i i really don't understand when people start going into the gender war thing is like it ain't like she wasn't on the auction block with you you were both on the auction block together, um, and, and 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 the whole theory of being auctioned, like a woman, a woman being auctioned for her body parts, a man being auctioned for his body parts, um, a woman, um, basically, if she can't bear children, she's of no use. And if she is a woman that can bear children, being forced to have. We're not talking Twins. about 10. We're, ten. we're talking Twins. about maybe forced to have 20, 30 20, children. 20, 30 children. Breeding, Breeding. like animals. Breeding. Breeding. Yeah. So I know you still had a lot of stuff you wanted to uh, address, Julia. But yeah. you needed the moment. You gave me that look like, uh, <laughs> let me get a breather real quick. <laughs> let me get a breather real quick, right? 
this has been so difficult, especially because, you know, the, to the point that you raised, Quentin, when you talk about when you talk about the gender war, I don't think that we really understand that a lot of the ways that we communicate with each other has been socialized for us, initially socialized for us, and now is socialized by us. And, you know, I think one of the things that we miss is that all of us have have been at a disadvantage at one point of an, or another and experienced, you know, difficult, painful, hard, hard situations. But at some point, we have to learn how to heal, if not individually, then as a collective, because I can't go through everything I go through as a woman and then deal with you telling me about how I have masculine energy or how I'm a, a man hater. And like, I, I'm just looking for you to be sensitive and understanding and compassionate towards me, you know? And, and I wanna be able to do the same thing for you. And, you know, we, I think we have to get to that. We have to get to that point. We have to understand that we've been socialized to be hard towards one another. I was, it's funny you brought that up. I was, I was having a discussion with a friend of mine who's not um, black American. And we were we were talking about something in the medical industry, and I was I was explaining something to her, and her response was, and I and you know I I don't think she was being unsensitive or um, not lack of understanding, but it's just sometimes a person just don't know. Right. She said to me, "I can't imagine living in that type of fear," and um. I wanted to tell her, like, you know, I don't know where a lot of people get their education from as far as not their formal education. I'm talking about the generational education, um, their family history. But one of the places where I got a lot of my family history was at the kitchen table. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And to, 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 to not understand that fear that being afraid, that hatred, it's, it's mind-boggling, you know, and I don't get upset with people that's not Black American because they don't understand. I get upset with them when they don't want to listen to someone who's trying to explain it to them. Mm -hmm. If somebody is explaining to you why they do not trust a particular thing, instead of trying to force them to get them to understand your point of view, you should listen to what they're saying. Right. Um, and I think that that's one of the biggest issues now is people don't understand the fear of, oh, they'll say, well, black men don't like going to the doctor. I, I'm I'm a black man and I go to the doctor regularly. Mm -hmm. I'm proud to say I go to the doctor regularly. Good. My grandmother was a registered nurse. Hmm. I have no problem with the medical industry, but I do like to question a lot of things and I like that information. Right. So I think that instead of saying why black men or like it's a bad thing that black men don't like going to the doctor, it's a reason. Mm -hmm. It's a reason why black women don't want a procedure done. I mean, uh, Drea, you spoke about it when you spoke about the thyroid and I've no 
hundreds of women who have spoken about this thyroid issue. I'm just learning about it, to be perfectly honest with you. I'm a baby with it. And it's like so many people have been misdiagnosed. And I dealt with thyroid too, because that's another issue with um, you know, black Americans as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, I don't even know the word, Julia. Five boys, five boys. <laughs> see, I'm learning. Um, so I think that that one of the biggest things that um, like Julia said, she answered my question is instead of coming from a place of Assuming, come from a place of trying to get an understanding. Right. An understanding of what actually the person could be going through. Um, Mm -hmm. Definitely a woman with her body and, you know, dealing with this type of society, even even up until this day, because for lack of better words, and I'm not taking nothing away from our Native Americans and what what they went through, but to use their phrase... We have a trail of tears that have been way longer than anybody historically. Right. You guys got, uh, I know you got a lot to say there, Julia. Well, Quentin, (laughs) I just wanted to touch upon something very important that you said. You said that you were not afraid to go to the doctor because, of course, you have someone in the medical field in your family. Right. So you have that first level of trust. And then you also are a researcher. And I think, you know, we a lot of us in our community tend to rely upon what doctors tell us when we go to the doctor. We tend to rely upon what what they tell us. But to Drea's point, what she said earlier, sometimes there hasn't been enough research done on a particular illness or um a particular organ in the body within our culture to understand what type of treatment will be best for us. And so sometimes it's important for us to not be afraid to have conversations with our medical providers as to whether or not that procedure is the right thing for us. Mm-hmm. The, the other thing is that um, if I can share my personal experience, I also have experience with um, fibroids. I was initially diagnosed with fibroids, I think when I was about 25, 26, and I had three surgeries. And after each surgery, they returned and I said, something's wrong either with the surgical procedures or there's there's a way that my body is responding that's allowing these things to come back. Let me study, the last time I went to the doctor, they were like, oh, you need another procedure? It was like, no way. I don't feel like giving you $50,000 <laughs> on something that you haven't been able to treat in the last 15 years. So let me research what's going on with my body and how my body, why, why this is happening in my body. And through my research, I was able to identify that a certain way of eating mm-hmm. and exercising and being rest and, and getting rest and not being in chronically stressful situations allowed me to be healthier and even get to a point where my fibroids are shrinking without surgical intervention. So sometimes we have to do that research. We have to push back. We have to ask questions and we have to know whether or not the procedure that's being recommended for us is right for us. Right. Based on our genes and our body structure and things of that nature. Exactly. You think that, you think that one of the, um, 
one of the issues, <laughs> it sounds crazy what I'm about to say, but I don't think most people think about this. My uncle, I had an uncle that um, passed away. And he used to always talk about eating right and understanding that our bodies, our skeleton frame was not created for this land mm-hmm. and, and this culture, far as like the weather and so forth and so on. So he would always be like, you know, watch what you eat, you know, make sure you don't, you know, eat too much flesh. This was before the vegan thing even became a vegan. I right. think he, he used to make these, uh, Shout out to my uncle, too. He's make this thing called sausages, right? He's called sausages, but they were made of fish. Mm. They were literally fish. So ah. he used to always speak about that and understanding that, you know, even dealing with AMA, and I'm not talking about American Music Awards. Um, I'm, mm-hmm. saying, I'm saying AMA for the um, algorithm. Algorithm. We need to dig, dig a deep dive on why AMA was created. Like I said, I am not a proponent of science. I mean, I'm not against science. I am not against the medical industry. But we need to understand why AMA was created and why what we consider natural uh, remedies are now considered alternative remedies. Which is weird when you think about it because even Hippocrates, who was considered the first doctor of modern science, Mm -hmm. ever understand any of his works, he used herbs. Right. He used herbs. So, um, Dre, I know you. You know, you still have some more to say. I um, mean, yeah, like I yeah. said, like I said, you know, don't, you know, I don't want the show to be too, like, you know, I know it gets it gets to a point where when we talk about, you know, like I said, a lot of stuff that you guys have went through, it gets mm-hmm. a little emotional. So I don't want to seem like we're doing a Debbie Downer show. <laughs> nah, it's a it's an informative show. But to piggyback off you, um, what she has said. Um, being active, being athletic, you know, from four years old to now, I actually had a white physician tell me that as far as being African-American, we are eating wrong. We need to eat from the ground. And going back to my parents are older. They had me older. My parents from rural Alabama. So my parents really ate me. Like my parents was like, you know what we, you know, meat was a Sunday treat for them. It was like, oh, Sunday we eating chicken, and it wasn't fried chicken. And then also too, where the land where, um, where my mom grew up on, their neighbor, and and actually this guy just died like a few years ago. He used to kill slaughter hogs, and so um, he used to give you know like my, my grandma and them, you know, um, a piece of the hog because it was seven of them, and so. My mom was like, no, we used to eat beans, okra, collard greens. They ate a plant-based, as they were deemed now, plant-based. So I grew up eating that stuff. Um, so when I see, like, some of my cousins that's from the country, like, oh, girl, we don't eat that. We eat McDonald's. No, sis, that's why you have health issues. And people always be like, how old is your mother? She don't got health issues. I'm like, yeah, because she took care of her body way back then. But once again, it goes to supreme discipline. It goes back to understanding and knowing who your ancestors are and what did they eat. Having those conversations with your aunties, with your if you got your grandparents alive, like, well, what did y'all eat? You know, like, what helped y'all sustain y'all? And also, too, they wasn't sedentary like we are. They was working in the fields. They was, you know, um, I had an uncle all the way up, so he was 90 years old, driving his tractor 5 o'clock in the morning when I used to spend my summers um, with my uncle. 
five o'clock in the morning. Oh, I got y'all some peas. I got y'all some greens and had a garden. So that's why I mm -hmm. garden because mm -hmm. of just, I go back to eating from the earth. It's very rare that I eat fast food. It's very rare. Mm -hmm. Like now I have to change up my whole diet, um, you know, with just even limiting, um, you know, animal protein because it doesn't feel good when I eat it. Mm -hmm. Even though I love some wings, I love wings. Don't get me wrong. But mm -hmm. when I eat it, I don't feel the best, mm -hmm. even with dairy, you know, um, you know, we got to get away from that, the cow's milk. So, you know, we have to really try what works best for our body and have supreme discipline and focus and really be, that's once again, being in tune with our bodies, being connected spiritually to say, mm, this don't work. Let me try something else. Also too, I'm a big component of quote unquote alternative uh, medicine. That's how I actually kind of got cured from when I had my um, thyroid. I went to acupuncturist acupuncture saved my life i go to i don't care how much it costs i'm like how much it costs i was like coming out of pocket going to acupuncture like twice a week now i go once a month just for the the you know routine but once again we can't just always deem it oh that's white people stuff and we need to get out of that too because if you really go do the knowledge and the research a lot of our ancestors created that so you know we have to not always just you know sometimes we got to combine western medication along with the alternative medication same way with mental health you know people be like i'm just gonna pray it away yeah but god's also leading you to a therapist but you're not you're not you know you're not really in tune with that so you know we just have to go back to basics we really have to and sometimes we like you said julia get out these stressful situations like sometimes we gotta look at our living condition, how can we live a simple life? When you live a simple life, that's the best life because you're not out here chasing the bag. I'm out here chasing the bag. Because you keep chasing the bag, that's going to drive you to an early grave because you're under stress. And stress is the number one killer. Number one killer. One of the things that, that we mentioned, um, and shout out to the, to the brother who did the, um, and I got to give him a plug, the documentary on Netflix, uh, High Off the Hog. If you really, if you watch that documentary, that it'll was, basically- That was um, so good. The, the, the elder, the elder mm. that was over in um, Africa, she basically explained the history of some of the tribes that were brought over here and mm. what, they, what they bought, the food, the, the foods that they know. bought. And um, understanding, like um, Drea went into a saying, Understanding your body, understanding your body structure. I know um, a lot of doctors nowadays, a little bit different than before, is they try to ask you your family history. Mm -hmm. And it's best that um, everybody asks. Ask those questions to your to your elders. And, um, you know, who had what? You know, if, well, who was diagnosed with this? And what this? Um, sometimes we always talk about, and, and I know you two are going to smile when I bring up this word. Sometimes we always talk about generational curses. I don't believe in generational curses. I believe in people not being forth with information. Right. Because information is power. Um, yes, it is. I know Dwayne has said in the chat that he would tell the difference from eating in New Jersey compared to when he would just go a couple miles down the road in Virginia to his family's farm. Yes. And we sometimes think because we live in quote unquote the city that we can't have a garden. I know Drea, you had started a garden right during the middle of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> on my on my one acre of land. And and I want to mention this too, real quick. I knew that even though I'm a brown girl from Boston, I'm a Bostonian by, you know, by birth. I knew the city life wasn't for me. I was like, whoa. 
I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not subscribing to hustle and bustle. I'm subscribing to, yeah, I'm going to be low key, laid back. And that's why I end up coming to school to Alabama because it's low key, it's laid back and it's affordable. So I can live my best life on my one acre land <laughs> and I don't have to work two, three jobs. Cause I look at some of my family members like, how do y'all live in Boston and work two, three jobs just to maintain rent, not a mortgage rent. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then you, that's why the fast food and the, you know, the, the hefty, you know, hospital bills, because that's not conducive to us. If you think about our ancestors, they lived in what rural areas and they live off the land. So, you know, I tap back into that and that works for me. It may not work for other people. Yeah. One of the things is funny. You said that, um, Drea, <laughs> My my niece, my niece and her family live in Alabama as well. He's he's actually from South Side of Chicago, the hood, and she's from New Jersey. And um, they both went to graduate school down in Alabama, and they both decided to stay in Alabama. And I always mess with. Her. I'd be like, "Yo, what? You like it down there?" She she loves it down there. She I think she likes it because you have that rural, laid back type of feel. And if you want to do city, you could always drive to one of the historically um, cities that have a lot of our culture there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Julia, yeah, I know you. You you just, I kind of like you know, we. I don't know if we went too far or too left or too right. I mean, um, what what, do you, what what's your thoughts? I know that um, you you were very um, and I hear you. You know, I always throw my little shots messing with people. I know that you got a lot of, you were very close with your grandfather. Yes. Yes. Speak about that. Like how, how him understanding women was able to convey to you that you learned a lot about who you are through your grandfather. Um, through my grandfather, but through my elders in general, through my elders in general, I am so grateful and just, I feel so blessed that I grew up in a time where I was close, was able to be close to my elders. Um, my, my great aunties who were 60, 70 years older than me that could tell me stories about their lives and, you know, like how important my being a woman was and what it meant for me to be a woman and my responsibility not only as a woman in the world, but a woman in my family, like the, the, the expectations I had to uphold, you know, as a woman having character and integrity and, you know, trying to do my best. I, you know, I was young. I had my moment. Right. But then, you know, those, those things always come back to you. Like I represent my tribe. My family is my first tribe and I represent my family. And, being able to see the women in my family, even with everything that they survived, you know, how they were able to be successful in, in their careers or, you know, in their relationships to the, as much as they could control it and in the world and how they helped others. And um, with my grandfather, it might sound a little weird, but a lot of what he was able to teach me about how important I was and how much I needed to protect myself is because at one point in his life, he was a womanizer. And so he would tell me, 
he would he would put me up on game. He wouldn't call it that, but he would put me up on game. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he he realized that what he was doing was self-serving. Mm. And he realized that a lot of the relationships that he was having was to satisfy something that was missing in him that he didn't know how to fulfill. And that he used a lot of people along the way. And he was very apologetic about that. And I think one of the ways he tried to um, reconcile that or to ask forgiveness for that was to confess those things to me and to make sure that I was connecting myself with people who valued me and who loved me and who adored me and cherished me like he did. You know, that, that you're going to make me cry, Quentin. One, well, you know, you're to say, make to, me cry, Quentin. To, se to segue into, so into something else that we had discussed earlier about the myth of um, black black people not being able to to endure pain. Um, mm. I have a PDF file. Um, anybody that wants to study that was done on um, the historical aspect of surgery and why this stuff was done without anesthesia to black people. Um, this has always been a myth that black people could withstand more pain than others. So, if you want the PDF file. Um, just email me at ltalk5600.com. I mean, dot g at gmail.com. Um, I have it. It's, it's, it's a very interesting read. Um, it's only six pages. It's not real wordy. And, um, I think that a lot of people could benefit from. One of the issues that I wanted to segue on, it's a touchy subject um, because we're dealing with 50 years, I guess, Roe versus Wade and... Um, a lot of people love to say, my body, my choice, whether you're pro or against um, that procedure done. One of the um, organizations that I, I, I have disdain for is Planned Parenthood. And um, I don't know you guys' opinion on Planned Parenthood. I've never asked y'all um, privately, so this will be the first time um, – we talk about Planned Parenthood, and, and the reason why I bring it up is because of the founder of Planned Parenthood, Margaret Singer, and how she was a strong um, racist, a strong um, advocate of eugenics. Um, so I have my theory on the essence and the origin of Planned Parenthood. I know that a, a lot of people feel like they've done good in our communities, Um that's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, I have my reasons why they are in predominantly um, black communities and what they recommend. I think that um, the people who work there that don't understand historically of what started that, I hope that they're coming from a genuine place because getting and talking to that woman about her body and her choice is a very sacred and serious responsibility. So I hope that anybody um, there is coming from a very, very good place and be able to understand that you're not just talking to a woman, you're talking to a fragile vessel. So with that, I'm gonna ask you guys your, your, your thoughts on Planned Parenthood. <laughs> 
I mean, it's no right or wrong answer. I mean, whatever you say is what you believe. I mean, you guys are, you know, <laughs> Julia. I know that I know that you're uh, both of you guys are city, city, city gals living in the in in the country now. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm quite sure you you've uh, heard some stories about that organization and what they do. You guys want to answer or no mas? No Dre, more. You want to go first? <laughs> I, you know, I really don't like that term, my body, my choice, because I feel that it's an agenda behind it when it comes to Black women. Because going back to what I was talking about earlier, my body, my choice, we often forget the mental health piece and the trauma that you have to heal going through such a traumatic procedure, right? Um, And I think a lot of times we're like, oh my God, it's my body, my choice, but yet you're used as a work mule to save the world, especially, or sometimes being a tool for white supremacy. Um, I am, you know, all about, yes, having ownership of your body, but also too, whenever you are, part of the extermination process of um, black babies, you know, I have a problem with that. And especially if you're using it as birth control, because yeah, you may think I'm all good in the hood. I just got this procedure done. You're getting it multiple times. I can imagine your spirituality. Your spirit is broken. I can imagine your mental health because it's kind of like, are they giving you an exit counseling? I highly doubt it. They probably, okay, take these medications, go take a week off peace out. You know, what is the actual long-term effects that we don't have the discussions about with your mind, body, and your spirit? Um, Also, too, how they are actually inserted, like you did say, Q, in our communities, and why? And why no one ever, you know, um, have these conversations about it? And, you know, it's just a traumatic thing that no one don't want to have the conversation about. It's like, let's sweep it underneath the rug. And I think it's it's a high percentage of um, abortions as far as with, within our community. I forgot the um, percentage. But, you know, you mentioned that, child, people will beat you down. Oh, you know, so you seeing that we, people got ownership over our bodies. You know, once again, as being a Black woman, you know, we have ownership to a certain extent. But a lot of times we give our bodies up and we, um, you know, give it up without permission as well. So that's my stance on it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, like you said, it, it does need it before Julia go. It does need to be some serious discussion and no concrete answer. Um, I don't know if no concrete answer ever get done with this this particular topic. I think that even when you look at... um the historical um, landmark ruling in Roe versus Wade. If you really look into the case, um, something that um, I had to study for a particular thing, it was racism involved in the case. Mm-hmm. I know mm-hmm. it sounds crazy mm-hmm. and it sounds far-fetched to people in the chat. You'd be like, what the race got to do with Roe versus Wade? It's the reason why race got involved in it. And, it's, and it's, I think that's ever been public information People understood, so um, you know, my body, my choice, and understanding what from the eugenics thing, um, from what Dre even spoke about earlier, um, feminism, and, and and how 
all these forces and isms have always been a big thorn in our arm. <laughs> I want no parts of the isms. And I'm going to tell you why. Because number one, that slogan, my body, my choice is nothing that a black woman has ever said. She didn't originate that. And she doesn't go around saying that. And, you know, in the in the order of policy and rights in this country, the order is, as far as I have seen, white men, black women, white women, and maybe black women. So when they're saying my body, my choice, they're not they're not including me in that conversation. They're not including me in that conversation because including including me or including us in that conversation would be making sure that we also have access to health care. Mm -hmm. So the, the other ism that I have a problem with is racism, because when you look at it historically, we have not had access to health care. We have not had access to centers where we could, if we wanted to, learn about our bodies, learn about family planning, get access to, to things that we need to protect ourselves, to protect um, for men to protect women and women to protect men, we don't get those things. But what we do think, do what we do get, is centers where we could take care of the accident once it happens. And why is that able to? Why is that able to be done? Because nine times out of ten, you don't need health insurance in order to get that done. And so, if you had health insurance, that would not be your first step. And so how do you get health insurance? You get health insurance by being employed. How do you get employed? You get employed by having companies and businesses that are willing to employ you. So to me, it's a whole system. Mm -hmm. The whole economic system is connected to our health outcomes. So my body, my choice, I don't want to hear about that. When it comes down to that, for me, it's about eating well. Right taking care of my body, making smart choices for myself, even in terms of sexual partners. Make don't nobody want no community penis. Like women, women, I'm sorry. <laughs> women, black women have the highest occurrence of STIs and HIV and we're not giving it to ourselves. We're not giving it to ourselves. Well, it's, inter it's interesting. <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's, it's 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 interesting because even in the height of the pandemic, um, one of the medical one of the medical uh, people. Some people will say he's an expert. Some people will say he's a crook. I'm not going to mention his name. Even he mentioned how the pandemic was ravaging the black communities, and wow. it's one thing to say it, to acknowledge, you know, we have a problem here. But it's another thing to actually remedy the problem. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, that is the issue that we continue to go. Most mm -hmm. people will be like, well, why are y'all still fighting over reparations? Because that reparations is reparative right. justice. Exactly. Um, understanding that, you know, we, like you guys have shown we've been pushed out of having proper health care now i know a lot of people in the last 10 15 years health care big farmer this has been like a major discussion and and like julia said for the young um 
unsure couple, she can have that procedure done without medical insurance. Mm-hmm. When we think about that and think about why I am a bit personally, personally, I'm against these facilities being in certain areas. Cause I think they're strategically in certain areas, not um, as a situation to give people advice and um, in these disadvantaged areas, these areas, these, these places are put in these areas for that, and if and you could actually look up the numbers and what how many procedures are done in particular areas because all this stuff is public information and they collect data to track. So when you look at um, that, getting a procedure done is easier, and for a person to get a procedure done, then to have medical insurance. Then we go all the way back to historically. She has heard what has done to all her ancestors from that auction block on down. Mm-hmm. And then we we sometimes don't understand the emotional trauma that she has bore. She has been bearing, and then she bores into this world because she's she's a vessel. She's she's a giver of life. Right. So it's it's like a perpetual amount of fear, a perpetual amount of anger, a perpetual amount of disdain and contempt. I, Go ahead, mm-hmm. Julia. Before before Drea speaks, I just wanted to add that the reason why we find most of those centers in our communities or in impoverished communities is because in impoverished communities is where you see the greatest number of high risk behaviors. And so, and high risk behaviors, meaning drug use, unprotected sex, multiple sex partners, those kinds of things. That's where you see the, those high risk behaviors. And that's why those centers are there because they know the outcome of that. Right. You know, and instead of investing, instead of buying, you know, broken bags and, you know, Range Rovers, oh, investing. Shots fired. <laughs> Um, instead of investing in our communities where people could go to, if not resolve all of the issues around around being in an impoverished area, just giving access to information in a safe space mm-hmm. so you can protect your body and be able to make a choice about your life and your body. Right. I'm sorry. <laughs> No, Julia said it all. I definitely agree. And I think also, too, like if we are going to once again, um, we're like, hey, we want our children to go to college. We need to push them into these majors where you see a disproportional of health science. You know, somebody got to be the scientist, the social scientist to do these studies on why these um impoverished places have these dysfunctional behaviors. You know, where's the study at for that? Uh, you know, where's the study at instead of gentrifying these areas? You know, um, how can we mm. redevelop it for us to live in a quality um, mm. neighborhood? So mm. we won't have to bust our children somewhere. We don't have, you know, um, just different areas, different barriers that's keeping us from really living a true quality of life um, mm-hmm. instead of you have to, you know, take quote unquote handouts. Um, so, you know, it's just, it's just, a, I think we just need to, I know it's, it's idealistic to rip 
you know, the society from its roots. Because all of this is systemic. Mm. And people do not want to have the conversation about it. All of this is, is systemic. You think that that's... <clears throat> and, and, and it speaks to a, um, a further discussion, Drea. Do you think that when you do start pulling the layers back and looking at what has been done... And you guys are in academia, so this is a very important question. What is the fear? Why the discussion? Nobody wants to have the discussion. In class or out of class? Both. Just, um, Everything is surface. You, you could get more done with the discussion on Twitter <laughs> than you can get on a real deep dive discussion in a classroom. Right. To be honest with you, on my end in my classroom, I I have really tough conversations about drug uses all the way down to domestic violence because I tied in with my lesson. Um, and so I'm glad that I'm at an institution where I can do that because I'm not at a public university. If I was at a public yes. university, I probably would have been up out of there. <laughs> I would have been up out of there. Um, but when you're at a private institution, you can you can incorporate those things. But also, too, some of us, we want to have this, everything is fine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just, just flash my smile. And even though I'm hurting, uh, the generation that's coming up from behind me is hurting. Everything is fine. And people don't want to challenge the system. People don't want to buck against the system so they be complacent. So that's why you see complacency and thinking. I always tell my students, you need to critically think and you need to read at least 15 minutes a day to comprehend. Not read and strolling, but I need you to comprehend what you're reading because your life is at risk. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, like, it's like, for example everything that we lead the discussion on within the culture, it's like it, it gets taken, then repackaged. It's like um, critical race theory. Let's use that for example. We've been, we've been teaching critical race. That was the kitchen table conversation. Right. Um, we don't have a problem with history with our, in, 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 the, in this country. We just want history to be told without all the lies. Mm -hmm. um, so it's never been a problem if you've had that education at your kitchen table. Um, we created, as we would say now, cancel culture. And it, and it's funny because we created cancel culture as a way of getting at each other. But it's like it done took too far. And now like people get upset because they get canceled and they get done. Like, oh, well, you know, oh. we, you know, we, we, it's like every time we create a conversation or a conversation is made to address some of the issues that historically have plagued us, us in living in this country, it always get repackaged. Mm -hmm. And now the grifters come along and they start making money off of artistic culture. One of the things that, that Keisha loves to say, and I'm a big proponent of her favorite statement, Black trauma is big business, baby. It is. And she, spe she speaks about that a lot. It is. So is there anything you guys uh, like to add before we close for today? I don't, I know it's a lot, a lot that we didn't discuss and I'm quite sure we'll probably do another show on it. Like I told Julia, um, I don't think one show will be able to um, scratch the surface, but we just wanted to bring forth this information and just, 
have this discussion to, as Julia say, <sighs> have that, that deep breath, like, you know what I mean? Be able to breathe and be like, yo, I, I, I hear you. I heard you. I heard your cries. I'm listening to your stories on, um, you know, be able to have a conversation with each other first and then present what we, um, conversating about to everyone else online or whatever. Any final thoughts, ladies? You can call Julia because, oh, you want me to go and you want to close it out. No, I want you to close it out. <laughs> Professor, Professor. <laughs> um, I just I just had this thing, this last thing to say because I've been thinking about it since we started doing this. First of all, Quentin, thank you so much for pre presenting this topic to be discussed. Um, it's been a very healing process, a very healing journey, and it's just been a wonderful conversation, a beautiful evening. So thank you so much. But I just I want to touch on something that you that you said about repackaging. So we have this song WAP, right? And Cardi B. And there are probably about a million young women who learned about the importance of pH balance in your, you know, in your vagina through her and through that song. How influential would it, would, could she be, right? If she had other conversations about sexual health, you know, to go along with her brand, since she has all of these young women following her and to understand that they don't have to use their bodies in that way, but understand and respect their bodies. And like the whole idea of sexualizing a healthy, fertile, clean, beautiful environment and just making it, you know, something that, <laughs> you know, I got, I got that wop. Okay. But understand that that means that you're eating well, you're drinking water, you're resting properly, you're, you're choosing your partners carefully. That's what that means. That doesn't mean that you need to be out here twerking and whatever else they do. It just means your body is healthy. But, you know, we take these things and, you know, it's, it's a lot. It's too much. So, you know, we, we have we all have a responsibility, I think, to be mindful of the ways that we approach sexuality. Healthy, healthy. It's funny. Um, the, the great the great Frederick Douglass um, wrote an interesting piece that I, that I like to read probably once every three months. And the title of the piece um, made me think about it when Julia just brought it up. It's, it's called Our Composite Narrative. Mm. And one of the things is owning your narrative and owning your story, mm. owning how your story is presented to the world and owning how the world really perceives your story. And you're right, Julia, how a hit song technically could have been an educational song and taking the narrative and pushing it a different way, how it can have been perceived and definitely dealing with sexuality, a, a woman knowing her body and understanding um, what goes on down there and why, and, and having a why, as uh, my friend Dira was saying, knowing your why. Mm -hmm. Drea, did you have any final thoughts? I totally agree. Um, just to add on and to close it out, we all have to know what our purpose and intentions are every day, especially being 
in the skin of being black. You know, it's like, you know, we hear black girl magic, yeah, but what's the purpose and what's the intentions behind sprinkling mm-hmm. this magic? It can't just be about you got a passport, you with the Tulum. Cool, sis, that's cool. But what's the purpose behind that? How are you uplifting yourself and being in tune with yourself? So when you in tune, each one teach one. Mm. And so I tell my students that all the time, don't just obtain the knowledge for you, but how are you going to teach the next person or maybe even save the next person? Cause you know, lack of knowledge, we perish in that. Mm. And I think a lot of times we get away from that because you know, we're so quick. I'm not trying to look stupid on social media. I'm going to argue this person now, but really process what this person is saying. Um, so I think a lot of times, you know, we have to really have more conversations like this, which was amazing. I know part two, three, four, five is going to come, hopefully. Um, and also to not depend on the school systems to teach our children. Right. Education starts at home. Okay, you may have a lack of knowledge. You got, guess what? This thing called a smartphone. And you, you could take virtual toys to different type of museums. The Legacy Museum in Montgomery, if you can't get down to Alabama, you got so many free resources. But once again, I always look at it. You got YouTube University. So instead of typing in WAP and you about to do your twerk for the night, type in something else, some educational. So not only you, but also your children can get educated on. So that's just my to close it out for the night. And I thank these ladies. And it's funny, like I always think about the, the whole twerking thing perception and narrative for a black woman um is twerking for a black woman in america is twerking for our sisters from the diaspora is cultural dancing mm. always right. remember always remember that a lot of people play these word games with us mm. and they'll put a spin on the culture as we would say so I appreciate you, ladies. Um, Thank you. Thank you. I know that um, this 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 subject could have been like real emotional. Um, This was all about the spirit of Henrietta Lacks. I don't know what it was. Um, I was doing some research, and I just said, you know what, perfect show, perfect think. I was in the right frame of thinking, and said, you know, um, we need to look into really giving her her flowers. Like I said, her cells were taken without her knowledge to be used in every. You'd be amazed how uh, Hile is right short for her name, but they didn't use her name or acknowledge her family. Exactly. Who people are billionaires based off of her. her mm-hmm. With that, I thank everybody in the chat for joining the show. Remember to like, share, and subscribe, and have a blessed and safe night. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Please continue to join us here for conversations on hot topics, interviews with special guests, and our future programs such as the Poetry Corner, where you can hear dope poets from around the country creating that poet cafe vibe, and Crown Rules, our virtual book club on love, intimacy, and healthy relationships. Let's talk. We are everywhere you want to be. Follow us on YouTube at Let's Talk, Facebook at Let's Talk, and on Instagram at Let's Talk 1931. Have a suggestion? Give us a call at 570-795-4283. Or for business inquiries, please email us at ltalk5600 at gmail. Let's Talk. I order you, you order me, and we go together.
please don't forget to like, share, follow, or subscribe.